Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm Dave Selecki, and this week we have racer Trevor Vines. But first, here's the latest news in the industry. The two-stroke world championships, which were scheduled for, I think, last weekend at Glen Helen in California, have been moved now to May 9th. So if you're a fan of two-stroke motorcycles, that's a big event. Just about everybody in the world who likes two-stroke motorcycles will be there. So it's a good one to get out to. And hopefully this COVID-19 situation is behind us by then and they're back to racing again. So they're targeting May 9th. So we'll kind of keep an eye on things and see how that progresses. As far as other industry news and racing events, the last GNCC that was held on March 15th, we have some results from that. Caleb Russell continued to roll in XC1 by winning the overall, followed by Stu Baylor and Josh Strang, friend of the show. It was a great race because Stu Baylor got past three corners from the finish line by Caleb Russell. They battled for three hours out in the woods and Stu gave it up right there near the end. So he was a little disappointed in himself, but that's how the race came out. In XC2, we had Craig DeLong take the overall, followed by Jonathan Gurrier, and then followed by third with Michael Witkowski. And then in the ladies class, WXC, Becca Sheets continued to roll. She's just dominating this year along with Mackenzie Tricker in second and Taylor Jones in third. This week's Pit Pass Trivia Question of the Week is, who was the first freestyle rider to be sponsored by an OEM motorcycle manufacturer? Name the rider and the motorcycle brand. More on that later on in the show. All right, coming up next here on Pit Pass Moto is Trevor Vines. Trevor from wherever they call him. And uh, Trevor's got an interesting story. He's an OG freestyler from way back at the start of the sport. He's a track owner, race promoter, builds racetracks for Feld, and pretty much does it all. Trevor, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on. When you and I talked last, you were still out in California building tracks for Feld. Now, I know this COVID-19 thing is has really brought racing in general to a halt. And I know uh, that's that's been tough for a lot of people to get through. You're back in Ohio now? Yes, I am. All right. So tell us about uh, what you were doing for uh, for Feld. It was Monster Jam, as I understand it, correct? Yeah, I was on the dirt crew pretty much with a cat key and access to any of the machines we needed to bring the dirt in and create the Monster Jam courses and then uh, take them out at the end. And then uh, before that, I think you were doing, I mean, years ago, probably, you were doing tracks for them in arena cross, too? You were involved in that? Uh, I didn't do too many arena crosses, but I did do some freestyle events with Red Bull and a couple of different, I worked at their compound. I helped build uh, Robbie Madison's house and a few other events that happened out there. Didn't really get into the arena cross, and I kind of didn't 
want to do all that it would take to to travel like they were doing as far as supercross and whatnot but life changes and, and i had a fun opportunity to pursue it and i decided to i'm real happy i did it was it was a lot of fun and running the equipment I, I really like that so it, it fits it's right up my alley yeah the, uh, what's it say on your website dirt sculptor extraordinaire i think <laughs> yeah i've been living up to that lately it's fun <laughs> to create you know it, I, I do a lot of heavy equipment work obviously around my track but i do a little miscellaneous things build ponds and stuff for other people some smaller tracks uh you know create trails and whatnot and on people's property once in a while but to go and do stadium events the big monster jam courses. It was real fun because they're so precise. There's a lot of dirt. There's a lot of detail. Um, there's a lot of fine tuning to the course when it's done. It has to be, you know, we get the paint cans and the tape measures out and they come and check our work. You know, it has to be a certain way to put on a good show. So it, it, it's pretty easy for me, but uh, I enjoy it. But it definitely takes some, it's a lot of attention to detail. It does. It takes a real understanding of the soil and how it, you know, how it reacts to things. I know you and I have talked about this out at the racetrack, which is you really got to know what the conditions are going to be that day or what the weather's going to give you in order to prepare the track so that it's at least, you know, where it's rideable and works for everybody. That's a, that's a gift. I mean, to understand how that works, I, 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 you really, I got to give you a lot of credit for a guy that, that, that really, runs a really, really good program that people rave about. And uh, if, if anybody ever gets a chance to go out to Trevor's track, it's, uh, it's really worthwhile. Thank you. Yeah, it's fun. There's a, and traveling around and working different venues, there's, all the dirt can be different, which is creative. It's, it's unique that you have to work different scenarios a lot. Luckily for me, we didn't have any mud. Last winter out there, they had mud events after mud events. And I was fortunate that we had pretty much nice weather the entire time. Yeah, for sure. Now, going back on your bio, Trevor, I was looking through on your website, just reading some of the ways that you kind of navigated into the industry and the story about when you went out to California to just try something and it turned into really something you really didn't expect. Can you talk about that a little bit, expand on, on what I'm talking about with the freestyle movement? Yeah, back uh, in 1998, freestyle really hadn't been born yet. It was it was kind of just an idea. There were a lot of videos that were out that people were really into at the time. Kind of a different time. You know, we didn't have YouTube. The internet really hadn't erupted yet. Videos and stuff were big at the time. Crusty Demons of Dirt. There were some other ones that, that built the popularity besides the racing aspect. Of course, racing was big at the time. Supercross motocross, Jeremy McGrath, who and knack-knacks and stuff at the races were a big fan treat. Freestyle started with the videos, and then they started to have a couple contests. I got an invitation to go on the Warp Tour for just a week, and it turned into the entire tour for two years, which was fun. A lot of different cities, a lot of different venues, the same single jump, but it gave me a place to practice tricks, and when it was up, they said, hey, where are you going to go? We're flying you home, and uh, I picked California just because there were some contests coming up in a few weeks and some friends had a place I could stay and I ended up going out there and I stayed out there for about 10 years and uh, did a, a lot of contests that, like I said, the sport was just beginning to erupt then and it turned into a full-blown, uh, the company that, that is now Feld, but was Pace or SFX or Clear Channel at the time. It went through a few names while I worked for them back then. They kind of picked it up and freestyle became its own sport 
if you will, much like arena cross. We, we went into, we went into hundreds of arenas and had real contests where they had judges and they tried real hard to have a good criteria to, you know, to base what we were doing on and they had good purse money. So it brought out a lot of talent. There were some great riders. All the great riders came through the Feld, uh, you know, Pace FFX Clear Channel, the ISMA series at the time. It was fun. It was a neat experience. Yeah, for sure. And some of those names on the list, when I when I go back in time, I think of the Tommy Clowers. Um, shoot, who am I? Who else can I think of? Mike Jones. Um, you know, a few of those names that are when you think about that original movement. Yeah, when you go back in time, and some of those names that you guys were out there, I think inventing jumps and you know different tricks at the time. What was back then? What was the hardest trick? I know the ones that came along later, but when you first started out freestyle what were really one of the harder tricks to learn well the backflip hadn't happened yet so that was still something that nobody was really trying or had, had even envisioned besides like a mike metzger he was trying a little bit he was at some of those early contests any of the jumping through the bar you know like a, a mick metz or a double saran wrap i think those were kind of tough for you know it depends every rider had it seemed like tricks they could do really well and then there were tricks that they couldn't do at all so they would stick to a certain bag of tricks and uh, if you will and I had some that there were some things I could never actually get to do like a Mike Jones big kiss of death I, I was never good at that on just the handlebars but if I reach back and grab my feet I could flip myself entirely upside down and look straight backwards so some of the things that just kind of I think per rider depending on I don't know I don't know what the difference was but some of us could do some things. Tommy Clowers could do a lot of things. Uh, he never did any of the sterilizers. It, I think the hardest trick it would vary depending on which rider you ask. Yeah, it seems like I, I agree. It seems like every every rider had a specific signature move, I guess, for for lack of a better term. And I think looking back in time, that freestyle sport changed dramatically when the backflip came in. When and it wasn't Kerry Hart that started it, but he was the one who got the accolades for for you know sticking one in an event at the x games but there were riders that were already trying that trick and trying to work out the difficulty prior to that was that something for you i know that's that's high on the danger level high on the risk level it's it's high you know high risk high reward type move is you know what what point in your career did you decide that that's something you wanted to try oh when about the fifth person was starting to land them and i was still under factory contract with Yamaha. And uh, I really didn't think I was too old to still be deep in the sport. So I figured I better get it figured out because if I want to stay, you know, up in the mix, that's something that I was going to have to do. So I figured it out and I never really liked it that much. Some of the tricks I, I didn't mind at all. And, and I really kind of enjoyed rolling the dice harder and harder every time and really sticking them out there and and the backflip was something I, I never really, really liked doing too much. But I would do it. I'd force myself to do it. I only crashed a couple of them. I never really got broken off or hurt bad doing it. But it doesn't take a lot of error to make a mistake on that. It's, the guys that do it make it look pretty easy, but a lot of guys have crashed them too. All you have to do is under-rotate a little bit, and you're going to go down pretty hard. Or over-rotate. That's an easy one too. Yeah, for sure. I think that's uh, that's the situation is it's uh... – it, it almost seems like now, though, that the riders have turned it into a um, more of a systematic approach to the jump because they can do it more repeatable and, 
you watch some of the big uh, like Nitro Circus where they do just one bike after the other re- repeating the move. So they've kind of turned it into a more of a science than maybe when it first started. Yeah, we used to practice on dirt jumps and then we had ramp to dirt to practice on and that's what we did. And uh, a lot of the right side up tricks, if it's not going good, you can sense it coming off the ramp and you just don't get to do it as big that time. If a backflip doesn't go just right coming off the ramp, you're kind of in for it. You can manipulate the bike a little bit, but sometimes if you don't get the pull just right off the ramp, it's it's not going to go well. And so that was kind of a the difference between that, I think, a little bit. And now they practice in the foam pits over and over and over till they get it right. I'm sure that's fun to a degree, but I've been in some foam pits and that's not a day of riding to me. What really got me captivated to the whole sport was I practiced supercross and outdoor nationals and then would just ride jumps after practice to just for fun and to jump and land in a foam pit and then have to get hoisted out time after time. It kind of lost its luster. Yeah, and I think for you, Trevor, it seems like to me that a lot of the current freestyle guys, that's what they started out doing. You were a guy that came up through the sport of motocross first which evolved into, you know, supercross and other things. So you've got those foundational skills and you're still fast as hell on a motorcycle. We see it every time you get on your bike. Thanks. That's not that fast, but thank you. It's fun. Honestly, it's uh, it's, it's great to watch. And, and I know you're still doing the schools, which is a great thing because you t- teach great technique to, uh, to upcoming riders. But I guess my point was the sign of the times is there's a lot of guys that get into the sport. They're fascinated by the jumping and the tricks and they, that's all they want to do versus a guy from, say, our era and back that started in motocross and gravitated to the sport. So I guess it makes me think you've got a little more respect for that backflip move than maybe a, a guy who's just going to start out and do stunts because you know what could possibly go wrong. Yeah, I'm fortunate that uh, I'm glad I grew up in the 90s. It might date me a little bit, but to be a, a kid that wants to get into that sport now, they definitely have their work cut out for them and have to surpass all the early levels that I had the opportunity to be, you know, aboard for. So it's, it's different. Yeah. I mean, I guess when you start to see that stuff at three years old or five years old or seven years old, you know, we, you and I, we didn't know about that stuff. We were watching BMX guys do tricks a little bit and dirt bike guys didn't even take their hands off yet. So it evolved pretty fast. And it seems like now more than ever that, uh, they're adding further complications to the backflip moves. Now there's a front flip move that I've seen on video where guys can actually rotate the bike forward. There's guys doing double backflips, triple backflips. So it's it's really escalated. So could you imagine a young guy coming into that sport, the pressure that's on them to do that level of trick right out of the gate? That's a pretty steep hill to climb, <laughs> I think. It's crazy. Yeah, if you like it, you want to go to Travis Pastrana's house and spend a week there and hopefully you are still walking at the end of it. And if you are and you did and you impressed him, you'd probably go to the job on the nitro circuit. Yeah. And I think Trevor welcomes victims to his uh, compound because if you, when they used to do the TV show, they showed that a lot guys coming in and trying stunts and on the mini bikes and in the foam pit and more people got hurt than anything else. At Travis's. Yeah, for sure. They're having a lot of fun and they're, they're young and pushing the envelope and, uh, I mean, that's progression. That's how the sport, you know, motocross is the same way. Those guys are just trying to go faster and faster. And I mean, they go so fast. It's pretty incredible. The top speed of the top guys, you know, not what, what we see around here. You know, you think a guy around here is fast and then you see some faster guys that are maybe top 20 and then you see the top five or eight, 10 guys. And you're just like, 
wow, they really have it figured out. And they just keep elevating the speed the more they race and compete, like a lot of sports. We've talked about that subject many times, which is this sport of motocross has evolved a lot over the years. And now it's almost at the amateur level, it almost feels like it's gone professional. You have your weekend warrior type racer, and that's that's one level. But the faster guys, they do nothing but train. They'll go to practice days or they'll go to practice facilities with a trainer. And then they practice basically to get to Loretta's. And once they get out of Loretta's, they're practicing to get to the pro nationals and hopefully get picked up. So the amateur level of the sports almost become somewhat professional to the point where the cost threshold is extremely high coming in. And we've talked about the fact that it's become more of a white collar sport at that level and the expectations that go with that, which are very high. It just doesn't seem like you have that core weekend racer like you used to have, you know, 20, 25 years ago. It's just changed that much. Yeah, it definitely got expensive, I think, for the guys that were racing out of the back of a pickup truck on a two-stroke. It got to be a giant challenge for them to even keep up with the kids that had a little bit of money and had some skill. And yeah, if you get to go to Loretta's and chase the series around that kind of feeds that at that level, even the little kids, you know, the top 10 kids are super fast. I mean, they're tomorrow's heroes. And the A class, the B class is exceptionally fast. A lot of the kids that win B or are in top five and B, you'll see them, you know, in mid-pack the next season at the national. For sure. It's definitely evolving the sport. And uh, I guess maybe not a bad way. I mean, it's it's raised the talent level to get to that top level, but which is always good. You love to see guys go fast and, and, and do better. But it just it seems like it, it's kind of pushed the, like you said, the guy with the pickup truck and the cheap dirt bike in the back from going out to the track to race. For sure, they'll go out for practice days and do that. That's all good. But, you know, that racing level has kind of fallen off. Yeah, definitely. Local racing, we've felt it a little bit. You know, you see it's tough to compete against a kid that shows up with a, a dad with money in a motorhome and two bikes. Two four-strokes are a lot of money. And if you're out there trying to, you know, go race paycheck to paycheck and keep parts and your bike running well enough to, you know, get around, it's, it can be a lot. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the money's there and the, and the average pro class is drawing maybe three to five riders rather than 15 to 20 sometimes 30 when I think back to the, you know, 20, 25 years ago again. But um, it's, yeah, the, the sport's evolving and we're always kind of curious to ask people in the industry that someone like yourself who owns a racetrack and is deeply invested in the sport, you know, where's it headed? Where's the next level coming from? And uh, what do you see for the future? I mean, there's some, there's some actually talented kids right around here. Luke Fauser, there's a couple other kids that you know, do really well. Luke won Loretta's last year, I believe, in the 85 class, 65 class, 85 class. And, uh, you know, he's if he stays healthy, he's going to be a top contender. And kid just has a lot of talent. And then if you show that and you can get some support, you know, you get some help with the parts and you help with the bikes. And then, you know, the parents are, you know, working real hard to foot the rest of the bill. You know, he's going to do really well. So I think there's as much support or more than there ever was. I think there's more support in the amateur ranks than there used to be back in the day. So that's a great thing. That's good to see. And I think if a kid has talent and good drive and desire to be there and he can get to a decent level where, you know, he can get noticed, he's got a good chance. Yeah, for sure. And we're anxious to see, you know, 
young riders come up and, and watch them develop and, and get to that next level and watch them at the pro professional ranks. And that's, uh, that's ultimately, I think any young racers goal. So just, uh, shifting gears a little bit, Trevor, I, sorry, Dave, what, one more, one more thing about that before we switch topics. I think maybe that's, that's a good thing maybe for our sport, just because it brings more credibility to it. It wasn't as big in the eighties as it is now with, you know, the television coverage of all the supercross races and, you go into a grocery store and you might see Eli Tomac on the side of a refrigerator selling you a drink. And that's pretty cool. And it's definitely, you know, anything that grows and becomes huge, it just gets infiltrated with people and talent. And you got to, in anything, whether it's soccer, baseball, you, you got to be very talented to get to the top level. So, I mean, that might be part of the, the thing with motocross is it's being a professional rider is not for everybody. And nor should it be, you know, if, if you really think you want to commit to that and that's, you know, you have the talent and that's what you want, then, then that's something you should do. And if, and then after that, just make, keep it fun, you know, and go ride your dirt bike and treat it like, like a guitar or a basketball in the driveway. You know, you can have a lot of fun, but you don't have to make it into a, a full career. You don't have to be bummed about that. You can enjoy it and progress and get better and it can be what it is, you know. That's a good point. I never thought about it that way. Uh, compare a dirt bike to guitar, the basketball, like you said, it's it's a part-time fun hobby versus, you know, going all in on the commitment and, uh, you know, making it, uh, you know, the end-all be-all for some people. And that's and that's fine. I, I definitely uh, admire anybody who can do that and he has the means for sure. It's still great exercise. It's good to get outside and breathe. And it's especially in this day and age, it's good to set the phone down or get behind out from behind the computer and and get outside and, you know, whether it's mountain bikes or dirt bikes. Well, you know, I've been out to the track and, uh, I'm, I'm afraid they're not putting their phone down. <laughs> they're still, <laughs> they get to the track and they're <laughs> right. taking a picture of where they're at. And it's, it's actually kind of changed that a little bit to where it's a social event and they want to tell people where they're at, what they're doing. And that's part, and that's part yeah, and of that's it. cool too. We, yeah, we never had that opportunity before. We had to take a picture and wait a week to see if it even turned out on a camera that probably wasn't going to look very impressive on. So, pretty cool time to be to be doing it even though it's harder than ever <laughs> yep absolutely definitely difficult so uh, shifting gears just a little bit uh, i'd like to talk about the most interesting fact about you which was you were a stunt double in the movies for cameron diaz and crispin glover in the charlie's angels movie so talk about that what that experience was like how you got uh, asked to do that i mean was that part of your move out to california did you get to meet these guys too? I think that would be kind of interesting to know. I got invited to do that movie in like 2002. I was very deep in the freestyle competition. I was doing the X Games and the Gravity Games and all the IFMAs at the time. Many, many just demos across at IRL races or any big events. I was doing a lot of big events at the time. So they got a hold of me, about a dozen of us. Ryan Hughes, Nick Way, McGrath was in it. There were a lot of good supercross riders, myself, Ronnie Renner, Clifford Adaptante, Mike Jones. We were kind of the freestyle guys in it. And some of it to build. I wasn't rocking a Clifford ponytail, so that worked. <laughs> but I got to be Cameron Diaz's stunt double. And uh, that was fun. I did get to meet her. I did take her for a lap around the supercross track they made on my bike. Didn't double anything, didn't throw her off, but had some fun. We hung out for a little bit that afternoon and just talked and it was a great experience. It, it was about a three week shoot out in California. I'd been out there for a few years at that point. So I'd lived kind of nearby. I didn't, we stayed there the whole time. We had long call days and, 
it was a lot of fun though. We shot a, a lot of different, I mean, it's a small segment in the movie. I think it lasts like 30 seconds or so, but we filmed for a few weeks, kind of nonstop. And it was fun to ride with guys like Nick Way and Ryan Hughes and on a super cross track, you know, Dave Castillo. There was a lot of camaraderie at the end of, you know, at the end of three weeks, hanging out with all those guys. That was a blast. Yeah. And how cool is that? I mean, to meet the stars and get to ride with, you know, some great riders. That's a, that's an awesome story, man. It really is. And uh, I think your story just from the beginning to where you are now, it's just a, an interesting way you got into the industry and into the sport and ended up where you are now. And as a track owner, promoter, and, you know, helping with monster jam and just, you know, the, the, the training that you do the schools. So Really, you're a you're a great guy to have around in the industry, and and you do a great job at the racetrack. We really appreciate everything that you do to give back to the sport, and a lot a lot of riders don't do that, and I think you should be recognized for that, Trevor. Our time's coming to an end here. I just wanted to take the last few moments. If there's anybody that you'd like to thank with regards to your your career, or even uh, just mention them now and uh, throw some uh, throw some love their direction. Yeah, sure. Companies like Thor and Parts Unlimited, Yamaha, they were great. I was a factory Yamaha rider for three years, and that was a dream that I never would have imagined would have came true. And in fact, I just was, when I was in California, I had lunch with Keith McCarty, who was a team manager. Great guy. They were all great people at Yamaha. Pro-X, Wisco, Alpine Stars, Dunlop, Tires. There were a number of companies that, that helped me a lot back in the day, and they still do. So that was that was a blessing that um, that I had support to help get me through my journey being a professional rider. That's great. And we, uh, again, we appreciate you coming on the show, Trevor, and, and sharing your stories with us. And we look forward to having you on you again sometime. You're welcome back anytime. Thanks for having me on, Dave. All right, this week's Pit Pass Trivia Question of the Week was, who was the first freestyle rider to be sponsored by an OEM motorcycle manufacturer named the rider in the motorcycle brand? Well, that answer is Trevor Vines on a Yamaha. A longtime uh, Yamaha rider, still rides Yamahas. I've known Trevor for a long, long time, rode at his racetrack a lot. I've got a lot of stories to share about Trevor, but the main one I'll talk about is I actually got to ride one of his freestyle bikes once. When I was working at Wiseco as an engineer and a product manager, I was developing crankshafts for that particular motorcycle that he rode, a YZ250. And we needed to get uh, crankshafts in engines and run them and test them and validate the product a little bit. So I called up Trevor and he donated a bike for us to try it out in. And we installed the crankshaft and I took the bike out to a riding area where I go and thought I'd give it a whirl and just try to get some hours on the engine just to make sure that our crankshaft was sound and. I had no idea what I was getting into. His freestyle motorcycle had suspension that was built for somebody that probably weighed 450 pounds. Now, thinking about that, Trevor's probably at the time 150 pounds, but a freestyle rider obviously hits huge gaps and jumps and at amazing altitudes and comes down really hard. So they have extremely stiff suspension on the motorcycles. And I could barely get around the racetrack on this motorcycle just because the suspension was just brutal. I mean, I tried to ride it as much as I could, but it just beat the crap out of me because it was just brutal hard. So uh, that was kind of an interesting side story about Trevor. Great guy, and uh, if you ever in Ohio, get out to his racetrack, it's really a great time. He calls it the funnest place on earth, and it absolutely is.
For this week's episode, we'd like to thank again our guests for being with us today and thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app where you'll get alerts when new episodes are uploaded. And of course, make sure you also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and fitpassmoto.com. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, Ed Kulenkamp, social media contributor Chris Bishop, and our producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. I'm Dave, and we'll see you next week. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.